If you have your two Bibles, if you want to pay, turn to page 47, please, in Exodus. We're going to read out chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and he became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may be. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just lost my spot. Put your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put it on his hand and caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored to the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you sh- shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Mm, thank you so much. So God says something that is true of us, more true than than even the truest thing that we could think of, um, but the world doesn't recognize it, right? And and we encounter um, people who will say just the opposite. That can't be true. That's not true of you. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe? Are we going to believe the voices inside our own heads or the voices of those around us or are we going to believe what the living God says about us instead? I'm so grateful, aren't you, for Moses, that he's gone before us and, and, and walked the path that God is inviting us to walk, to discover who we really are and, and what our purpose is. And, and don't ever think that I'm being critical of this, this guy who might be critical of Moses, for one thing. But, but um, I'm so grateful that, that he walked this path before me. I'm so grateful for another one who walked this path before me so that I might not have to. Pray with me, would you, as we begin? God, thank you for Moses. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for you, God, who declare things that aren't as if they already are, who invite us into your perfect plan for our lives, even when we can't see it, God, who gently and lovingly invite us to lay aside all the false beliefs, and to put our weight down on what is true. Oh God, open your word to us today, would you? These simple verses, help us see ourselves. More importantly, God, help us see you. And God, we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for your patience as we continue our study of um, the book of Exodus. Last week, we said kind of a radical, a radical thing. Um, and I just want to remind you of it as we, as we return to 
to Exodus today. We said last week that God demonstrates His glory and His power and His grace by calling ordinary people to His extraordinary purposes. Do you remember that? He demonstrates His glory and power and and grace by calling people like you and me to extraordinary things. And so, so as we pick up the story of Moses again, let's just recognize that God, let's, let's just, it's easier to look at him, isn't it, than to look at ourselves. Let's just recognize that God has extraordinary purpose for Moses. It's not hard for me to make that statement because I know what God was asking him to do. God was asking Moses to go back to the place of his suffering and to, to lead to freedom upwards of two million people who had no other hope than Moses' obedience to what God asked him to do. So I don't have any problem recognizing that God had extraordinary purpose for Moses. But I want to press in today, if we can, because in the last couple of weeks we've seen Moses begin to falter a little bit in his understanding of that, or in at least his willingness to apply it. And let me just begin today by saying that God never commands anything that He doesn't prepare and equip us to do. God never commands you to do something. Remember how we said you can study any passage of Scripture by looking at the promises of that Scripture or the commands of that Scripture, and sometimes there's both, or the examples of that Scripture. And I really believe that this is one that has all three of those things. We have the example of Moses. We have the command of God and we have in the midst of that the promises of God that enable that enable Moses to do what God asks of him. So God has been preparing Moses. I I see those 80 years. Remember Moses is 80 years at the time of this call. God has spent 80 years preparing and equipping Moses. When Moses kind of took a left turn, when he needed to go straight, God used that left turn as part of his preparation uh, for, for this moment that's before Moses right here. If you haven't been with us, God has said to Moses, he's appeared to him and he said, I want you to go deliver my people. But God also gave Moses amazing detail about what he was to do. Uh, do you still have your Bibles open to Exodus 4? Um, if you look back um, uh, a few paragraphs here in the Exodus story, you'll see where we finished last week. God said to Moses, I am who I am, in verse 14 of chapter 3. And then he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, Right? And, and if I had just left that there and you hadn't read any farther in that passage, you would go, that's not much to go on, you know, either for the people to believe Moses or for Moses himself. But I, I, just in brevity last week, uh, we didn't read the rest of that passage where God tells them, tell, excuse me, tells Moses in explicit detail exactly how he's to do that. God prepares and equips Moses for it. By the way, the way that he does that is he goes to the, he says, go to the elders first of my people. So before you ever go to the Egyptians, before you go to Pharaoh, go to your own people, right? We're praying for our families, right? Go to your own people, right? And, and, and then go to the elders of those people 
and tell the elders what I've said to you. And the elders will go with you to the people. In fact, that passage says that the elders will actually go and stand with you before Pharaoh. God gives him amazing detail about what it would look like to be faithful to what he's asked Moses to do. Now, if you don't see this coming, watch out, right? Because God, in his word, gives us amazing detail about what we are to do as well. And and if you understand that, see, all the time you read um, these amazing passages and you think that was then, right? But this is now. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And, and, and his pattern is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he gave Moses amazing detail about how he's to live, so God gives us amazing details about how we're to live. Here's the problem, though. We question God. We question him, right? Remember the first question that Moses had? Who am I? Who am I? I am nothing. And God said, I'm with you. You were right. You're absolutely right. You are nothing apart from me, but you are everything with me. And I will be with you. Some of you, in your, in your despair today, you just need to remind yourself of that. God says, I will be with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. I'm not asking you to do something uh, apart from me all by yourself. I am with you. And then we saw Moses come back again. It still sounded like a question, right? But remember, God hasn't spoken. I think it's literally 215 years God hasn't spoken. And and so it's not surprising that people stumble over that. Uh, um, God, how... How am I going to prove to them that it's you that's speaking to me? Who, who shall I say sent me? In other words, the first question was, who am I? The second question was, who are you, God, right? And, and, and God just gave that phenomenal thing. I be what I be, right? I, I, I define existence, right? For myself, which is astounding, but also for you. I define your existence as well. But, but we're starting to see now questions slide. And let me just put this statement out here. Questions become doubt and even disbelief if we don't immediately respond. See, if Moses had just immediately responded, then he would have seen the very answers. God said, here's how it works. I'm going to do it for you. He would have seen that. But a case could be made for decades of Moses saying, uh, no, uh, uh, I'm not going to do what I know you've called me to do. And, and those questions became doubt, right? And even, I'm, this is Dave here, but even disbelief because Moses didn't respond. I, I don't know, Kristen, if you did, in, uh, or maybe Lisa with your children, but as many of us, I remember Doug and Kim, uh, when they took parenting classes together. And there was a concept, do you remember it called first-time obedience? Have you ever heard that term before? Right. And the idea is that a lot of problems go away if you just do it the first time. Right. And and we found ourselves, you know, with our kids going, I'm going to count to three. Right. And then I'm going to count to ten. And then then I'm going to count to two thousand seven hundred forty six. Right. And um, and we and 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 we what we actually did was trained our children not to respond. Right. We trained them not to respond. 
And, and it was so life-giving as we were in parenting class together and, and said, no, just press at the very beginning. Press for it. First-time obedience. And that actually became a statement for us with our kid. First-time obedience, right? Uh, no, no questions. Just first-time obedience. And as, they, of course, they grew to trust and love us. They might not like what we asked them to do, but as they grew to know us and trust us and love us, that became more and more easy for them. But... But in a sense, I want to say to Moses, Moses, first time obedience, right? Why? Because when we don't respond, then, then we leave ourselves vulnerable. Think about the things that God has reminded you of. And just as I said that, a couple came to mind um, in, in, my, in my life, right? There's sin in our lives that we know is sin. And, and we're waiting for God to count to 2,476, right? We're waiting for him to do that. And, and because God has in the past waited to, to, uh, to bring the consequences of that, maybe we didn't see the consequences immediately that we've grown familiar with that. And we've even, as a culture, if not ourselves, begun to doubt whether that really is sin, right? God's word says clearly that it is you're thinking, what is he talking about? I'm talking about you, what God has prompted you about. I'm talking about that thing in your life that you know breaks the heart of God. And you still do it. You still do it. I'm not judging you for that. I'm judging myself if I am. I'm just saying, let's remember first-time obedience, right? With regards to sin. Let's remember first-time obedience with regard to Sabbath. I know Especially if you're a brand new believer, this sounds like a lot. God says, I want you to set apart a day for me. I want you to set, several of you just felt condemnation. You said, but I have, I have to work on the Lord's day. You know, um, I didn't say it had to be today. There's a beauty in today. Um, DesiringGod.com or org just had a wonderful article on the importance of the Lord's Day and doing it together. And I'm so grateful that you're here together on the Lord's Day. But if you can't do it on the Lord's Day, then set apart another day. But God, God's Word invites us to Sabbath, right? Do you see where I'm going in terms of first-time obedience? I'm not judging you or condemning you. You know me. I struggle with these things as well. How about, how about prayer? I want to just talk to you. I want to walk with you and I want to talk with you, God says. And, and I can't even make time to pray. I'm three days into praying for my family. I remember last night at 12.07 or something in the morning um, that I hadn't prayed for my family, specifically that day. I'm not inviting legalism. I'm just saying I just struggle to talk to God. Oh, I talk to everybody else about it but to talk to God about the things that are most important to me. How about prayer? And how about disciple-making? We've looked at it together. Love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor, the greatest commandment, right? In your going, make disciples. It's very clear that God has a purpose and meaning for our lives. And, and because we don't respond Immediately, after a while, we start to doubt whether that was God's purpose for our life. And maybe even disbelieve that it's God's purpose. And then maybe even disbelieve that 
that God really is actively involved in our lives. That's why I love in our Discovery Bible um, series uh, questions, the seventh, I think it's the seventh question, if I believe this to be true, what would I need to do? You've heard me harping on that, coming back. Why? Because it's the obedience question, right? God doesn't talk just to have his gums slapped together, if God has gums. He, he talks because he wants, us to, he wants to lead us to life, right? And, and so we have to ask ourselves, if God just spoke, what is it that I need to do in response to that, right? For that to be true. Now, I, I say this and I'm, I, I pause, and, and uh, even this morning, right before the worship service, I pause because I, I, I know that sometimes the equipping doesn't come until we respond, right? Until we respond. You say, well, wait, I'm not going to go share my faith with people until, until uh, God, I feel fully equipped to share my faith, right? And so we've gone three decades without sharing our faith because we don't feel fully equipped, maybe, just maybe, it's when we begin to share our faith that we get the equipping. Are you following me? Maybe it's when we respond in obedience that we get the equipping that we need. I guess the passage that is ringing in my head, do you remember when Jesus appeared to the, to the, um, to the uh, ten lepers and, and they asked him for healing and he said, go show yourself to the priest. He invited them to immediately have a witness to what he was going to do. Now, when did they get healed? Do you remember that passage? When did they get healed? They got healed when they went. In going, I think it's NIV, in going, they were healed. Now, the point of the story was that only one of them came back to thank Jesus for it. But, but over and over again, we see that it is in, when we respond that we get the equipping. When we respond that we get the healing. It's when we act in obedience that God gives us what we really need. And so Moses comes back. And, and, and look at this passage just for a second. Because I, I titled this, this um, message, What If They Don't Believe? And I, I've been thinking the whole time about the questions that Moses asked, right? But look very carefully here, right? Um, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered God, right? God just says, go to these people. Here's exactly how you should do it. And then Moses answered, but behold, look here, God. That's a pretty strong term, right? Very strong term. Look here. They will not believe or listen to my voice, for they will say that the Lord did not appear to you. Wow. Wow. Um, Moses is sliding down a slippery slope here, right? And, and now he's not asking, and this is what I originally, when I remembered the passage, I remember saying, what if they don't believe? He's not saying that. He's saying, God, they won't, they won't listen to me. They won't believe. They won't believe that you sent me, right? But look up in the page uh, to, to chapter 3, verse 18. Look right above that passage, right? Chapter 3, verse 18. People's phones have to kind of slide. Um, chapter 3, verse 18. What does he say? God says, um, I've observed you. Tell them this. I, I'm going to bring you up out of your affliction. And verse 18. And they will listen to your voice. They will listen to your voice. So Moses is coming back and saying, God, I don't believe what you said to be true, to be true, right? I love so much that song that you guys sang because, because it points out how many voices are telling us that what God says about us is not true, right? 
And, and most of those voices are outside of us, but some of those voices are inside of us. And Moses comes back and says, God, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen like you said it's going to happen. And so God says, um, okay, and I, I love this. God gave Moses three signs. Do you remember them? He gave him the sign of the staff, right? Of, I don't know what you picture. It probably didn't have a little hook on it, but um, we all our shepherd staffs, we, we see that. And, and he said, uh, take the staff that is in your hand, right? What has Moses been doing for 40 years? Shepherding sheep, right? So um, the staff is just immensely. Do not get out of line. I've been waiting a long time for this, Chad. Okay. <laughs> He, um, he's got this tool to help him do that. Uh, some, it's called three different things in English translations. I love, my favorite is the rod of God, right? The rod of God. I just think of, of a little deuce coop or something, right? It's the rod of God. But it is, it is um, this amazing symbol of Moses' identity. For 40 years, he's found comfort in not being a prince of Egypt, but in being the despised of Egypt, being a shepherd, right? Being a shepherd. And God says to him, throw down your staff, right? And he, he throws it down on the carpet. That Moses, Moses had carpet just like we do. And, and um, immediately the staff, the stick, the piece of wood becomes a snake, Right? And, and it, it doesn't translate into English there. Um, what does Moses do? What does the guy that spent his life in the wilderness among snakes do, right? He, he runs in fear. And, and the Hebrew helps us a little bit because it says because, because he's looking at the face of the snake. Now, I don't know what kind of snake it was. It, doesn't, it uses a kind of generic word for snakes, but I have a very good idea what kind of snake it was. What kind of snake goes like this, right? Yeah. And, uh, and looks like it's going to attack you. My dad and I did this with a rattlesnake. My dad is crazy. And if you're listening, <laughs> my dad is crazy. Take that. <laughs> when we were chasing a rattler and, and, uh, and it went into a hole, right? All that was left of it, visible in it, was, um, was the tail. So my, gra- my dad grabs the tail and starts to pull this explains a lot to you, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, that, that helps me understand you, Pastor Dave. Yeah, yeah. He drags it out by its tail. I've got to watch. That clock says 310. So I've got to watch my watch. Um, he pulls it out. He chops off the head. He skins it. He puts it on the fire without a head. And you know what that snake does? I am scared to death. Hey, hey, little clowns, nothing, nothing, right? Snakes without a head? Yeah, yeah. So, so that snake is facing Moses, right? And Moses in fear. Again, you have to imagine that this was not a rat snake. This was not a garden snake, right? Because he wouldn't be afraid of it, right? This was a venomous snake. I'm, I'm picturing cobra, right? And so um, God invites him to come around again. Uh, maybe this is my dad's inspiration, and take it by the tail. Uh, every single one of I can't say every single one of us, but all of us are going, no way, right? Why? Because there's a big head on that thing that's all set and free to get us, right? But the moment he takes it, the moment he responds in obedience, the 
snake becomes the rod again, right? And so God says, so take your hand and put your hand in your cloak, right? I think Napoleon's, this was Napoleon's life verse right there. Put your hand in your cloak and, and then draw it out. And, and it is white as snow, right? No, in the Bible, they called everything leprosy. So, so there was a lot of skin diseases that were called leprosy. That was not Hansen's disease that we know of as leprosy. All I do know is that when he drew that hand out, he had the sentence of death on him, right? Because there was no cure for leprosy. There was no cure. If you had it, unless God cured you, then, then, then you were likely to die of it and die a very lonely existence. And then he says, put it back in your cloak. And Moses puts it back in his cloak and it comes out. Uh, the Hebrew probably was like a baby's behind. I don't know that for sure. But it comes out pure and healed and, and beautiful, right? And then God says, if they don't believe those two, um, Moses, I, I just am so grateful that God is so patient, so patient with us. If they don't believe those two, now God knows everything, right? He knows that they are going to believe those two. But he says, if they don't, Moses, for extra credit, take some water out of the Nile and pour it out on the ground, right? And it will become as blood. It was such a stark ending to our passage today. It will be as blood on the ground, right? And God shows Moses three signs, three signs that he is able to do what he calls Moses to do. But I want to just invite you. I'm going to jump right here to some application, right? I want to invite you to think deeply about this. What is Moses laying down when he's laying down his staff? He's laying down, to a certain extent, his protection. But more so than that, he's laying down his identity, right? He's laying down his identity and saying everything for the last 40 years, God, that I thought I was, I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down. And I don't know what voices you have listened to when you've thought about who you are. But, but I know that when you become a daughter or a son of God, when you become a child of God, he gives you a new identity. And, and that identity might be, be complementary to what you're already doing and things don't necessarily change, but inside everything changes. Your source of life changes. Moses had to lay down his identity. Moses had to lay down his, excuse me, had to face his greatest fear. And again, forgive me for playing with the word disease. He had to lay down or uh, face his greatest fear and disease. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just imagine all of a sudden that that you were diagnosed with Ebola or with AIDS, right? Um, don't don't tell me that you haven't thought that through in the process. Um, there are things much worse than death, much worse than death. And imagine that that you were given that sentence. Oh, in the dark resources in the back of our mind, there are these fears that that might happen. And God said, Moses, I can give disease and I can take it away. I am Lord over not just your identity, but over your fears as well. Right? And we said before, the invitation to go back to Egypt was an invitation for Moses to return to the place of his greatest trauma. 
the place where he committed murder, the place where he got the sentence of death, God was calling him back to face his greatest fear and disease. And then and what is this thing with the Nile? We're going we know that that became the first plague. But the Nile for the people of Egypt now, not necessarily what well, was true for, for the last 400 years or so uh, for the people of Israel as well. It was their source of life. If you go, if you go, well, now we got pretty amazing irrigation, but if you go just miles from the Nile, it is just desert. It is, it is bone dry and lifeless. The Nile was life for them. And, and God challenges us, our very source of life. He says, pour it out. Pour it out. What would that look like for you? I know what it would look like for Moses. It would mean going back to Egypt. What would that look like for you if you believed God's word was true? To lay down your temporary identities, right? To face your greatest fears. To to pour out your life. Oh, again, I'm grateful for Moses for going before. We know the end of the story. And God honored his word to the word. He honored it for Moses but I don't think it was about Moses. There was one who would come after Moses who, who would not question God, who would not do anything but what God asked him to do. There was one who would come after Moses who, who would live the sinless life and then humbly and lovingly offer that life, lay that life down, pour it out. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about the emptying of Jesus. And, and it talks about the four levels of humility as he poured himself out for us, even to death in the most humiliating way possible on the cross. There was one who came after Moses, who met the righteousness of God and in love freely gave himself so that we might have that life. Oh, Moses, there's a reason that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all appeared together. God is, is walking us step by step into the, into the riches and the height and the depth and the breadth of his love for us. And that love is represented for you right here on the table today. The, the bread symbolizing the body of Christ that he freely offered in our place. The blood, uh, excuse me, the, the cup symbolizing the blood of Christ, which, which, where was the life? The life is in the blood, in Hebrews, right? And, and he freely gave his life so that you might live. I, I beg you, nothing, nothing in this world is worth clinging to. And if you cling to something for too long, I'm, I'm doing it right now with my, my wrist. It gets harder and harder for me to open my wrist. Let's lay it down. Let's face our fears. And they're big ones out there. They're big ones. I understand. Let's pour ourselves out, emptying ourselves of self so that God might fill us with Him. Self. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has gone before us and, 
And God, it seems so oversimplistic, but He just invited us to remember what He did by coming to this table today. Oh God, forgive us for the times when we were so full of ourselves that we could not let go of ourselves so that You could be glorified in us. But God, humbly, we come before You right now. We lay down our pride. We lay down our false identities. We trust You. We put our faith in You rather than succumb to our fears. And God, we invite the poured out life of Jesus to fill us to overflowing. So take this simple bread and this simple cup, would you, God, and make them the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And God, we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our elders, well, our elders, please come forward. Come on in, kids. Again, we're going to receive this sacrament today by distribution, which means that the elements will come to you. And we invite you, um, congregation, to receive the bread. Oh, my goodness. This smells so good. Receive, receive the bread uh, yourself when you are ready uh, as a sign of God's love and personal intervention for your life. And then... Congregation, we invite you to partake of it when you are ready. Um, after, the, after the bread comes, when the cup comes, would you retain that? Because we are, God would have given his son Jesus for any one of us were we the only people to ever walk the face of the earth. But praise God we were not. That, that he invites us to this, this holy moment together. And so we ask you to retain the cup until all have been served and we'll partake of that together as a symbol of our unity in Christ. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After, after supper, after that Passover supper, he took the cup, which we know now to be the cup of redemption, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. I just love this. This cup is the new covenant. In other words, you can have a new beginning right now. Right now. The new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago is fresh for you today. If by faith you will receive this cup. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim. You do what Moses was invited to do. You proclaim the kingdom of God. You proclaim the salvation of Jesus. Again, I invite you to retain the elements until, um, until you are ready to partake of the bread. Retain the cup until all have been served. And we will um, partake of it together.